Greetings, brethren, and welcome to Atonement Services. Welcome, welcome, Shabbat Shalom, High Day Atonement. We'll be having our services shortly, just doing our sound check before we begin. Today's service will be brought to us by Pastor Murray Palmatier. It's entitled, Is Your Soul Afflicted? Is Your Soul Afflicted? by Pastor Murray Palmatier. Hello, good afternoon everybody. Welcome, as Brother Agent said it, welcome to this high, I mean really high day, a really high Sabbath day, one of the highest on the God's calendar, one of the most important and definitely one of the most special day of all the high Sabbaths that, you know, we've been observing through the year. And the reason why it's special because we've been all, I hope, we've been all fasting, abstaining from food and water. So, this is the seventh month, and this is the tenth day of the seventh month, the day of atonement. And welcome to all of you, especially to all of you who join us on a weekly, regular basis. We're glad to have you back, and thank you that you faithfully follow us week after week. We're very grateful. We're very appreciative. And if you're a new one, thank you for coming, and thank you for observing you know, this day, this special day, and hopefully maybe you'll have somebody in an audience who is observing this day for the first time, the Day of Atonement for the first time in your life. You're very welcome, and thank you for joining us. And now before we, we start, at first we'll have the opening prayer, and right after opening prayer, because it's a high day, we'll have also the offertory message. And please don't forget, this is the day that you should send an offering. You shouldn't come empty-handed in front of your father today. So it's so easy in these days. I know for some of us, it's very difficult to meet in, in, in person, but it's very easy to donate, especially using this, all the internet media, whatever you might choose, whatever desire, how you want to donate. You will always find a way how to donate, and especially on these high holidays. So we'll have a opening prayer by our brother, Brendan Landon, and right after the opening prayer, we have the offertory message from Pastor Agent. So just please bow your head. Dear God, thank you for gathering us all here together safely today. We ask for your blessing today on the service we are about to partake of. And we please ask that all the, all the online technology continues to go well and be steady. And that we learn from the message today and we can take it and apply it into our lives and 
grow from it. We're so thankful to come into your presence today. And we please ask that we truly grasp this high meaning of this high holy day. We pray that everything runs smoothly and that we're able to continue our fast. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Greetings, brethren. Thanks so much. I was just uh, saying thanks to Brother Landon for his opening prayer. And uh, thank you uh, for Deacon Jan welcoming those who may be here for the first time. And uh, we're glad to have you. Those of you who faithfully follow us, we're so happy that you do that and happy to have you back and that we can be of service to you today on this high day of atonement. Uh, Yom Kippur, for the Jews or those who speak Hebrew, for those of us who speak English, we call it the Day of Atonement, and, and that is very appropriate because it is the, the Day of the Great Atoning. But also, the word atonement itself is interesting, that if you break it up into its syllables, it is at-one-ment, at-one-ment. And that really also speaks to the heart of this day, that as a result of this day, God and his people will be one. But it's not just that his people will be one with God. God's people will be one with each other. There's a lot of division in the church. There's a lot of different factions and, and maybe sects, etc. But on this day, all of God's people will be together. So God's church will be fully united. But not just the church. All of the covenant people will be united. The Jews will be restored. The lost tribes of Israel will be restored. And though the Gentile church and, and the, the Israelite church, everybody, all of God's people, will be one. And all of this will be done, this, this at-one-ment, by none other than Jesus Christ, the Messiah, our high priest. He enables all of this. And I'm not going to go into Leviticus 16 today. Our brother, uh, Pastor Murray, might. Uh, but Le Leviticus 16 shows the work of the high priest on this high day of atonement. And what is fascinating, if you read Leviticus 16, if you go through and read it, is the amount of work that the high priest does on this high, very high holy day. The high priest is working nonstop. And this is a symbol of the work of Jesus Christ, our high priest, and the work that he will be doing at the fulfillment of what this day pictures. Now what's also interesting as we read Leviticus 16 is the people of Israel do absolutely nothing. They do nothing to enable the atonement. They are in a completely passive state. And it is the high priest who is actively working to bring about this at one This is truly the picture of God's grace. 
as he says that it, it is he who will take away the sins from the house of Jacob. So unlike Passover, which pictures us on an individual basis, accepting the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ, atonement pictures this national redemption. After the national tribulation, the, the, the time of trouble for, a, for this particular nation, that no other nation has ever had trouble like this, as the nation of Jacob will undergo. But as a result of this, it enables God to then bring about uh, the trumpets, the, the vanquishing of the enemies, and then atonement, the atonement of his people. So there's this national salvation pictured by this day of atonement. And that pictures the unity that will be in the body of Christ. Look at Ephesians 1. As we, as we consider this unity, this atonement that this day pictures, in Ephesians 1 and verse 6, he says, To the praise of the glory of his grace. There is a glory of his grace, and we need to praise that. To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he has made us accepted in the beloved. He did this. It was the work of the high priest that made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood. That's what this day pictures but it pictures it on a national scale that all the tribes of Israel and all the, the people of God are, are now in this redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, pictured again by the work of the high priest in Leviticus 16. If we just fast forward to Ephesians 4 and verse 4, and this is this at one moment, this is the focus on the middle syllable one, at one meant. This day pictures the at one meant of all of God's people. Ephesians 4 and verse 4. There is one body. There's only one body. All those in Christ are one. Christ doesn't have two bodies. There is one body and one spirit. Even as you are called in one hope of your calling. There's, there's one hope in this calling. And all of us are, are called, whether Jew or Gentile, we are grafted into this one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. This is the at One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. What a beautiful picture of the at that the high priest enables. And, and the, the picture of the holy days that it all begins with Passover that's the beginning, the, the, the spring holy days and, and Passover enables the first fruits harvest to live the unleavened bread repentance and from that we have the, the first fruits harvest pictured by Pentecost and then we enter into the church age as the first fruits are, are working out our salvation and, and, and growing in grace and knowledge and in spiritual discernment and maturity, and then trumpets, the, the return of Christ and his victory, vanquishing the enemy, the, the, the day of trumpeting, and that then enables God to gather, as the trumpet is sounded, to gather his elect from the four corners of the earth. For what purpose? For the purpose of the atonement, that now all of God's people are one. There's one hope, in, in, in one, one hope of, the, in, of this calling, and, and one Lord, and one baptism, and everybody will be one. Now, some of these natural-born Jews will have heard 
us trumpeting the, the, the gospel message in the end time and they will have repented and been baptized in Christ and received the Holy Spirit and they'll be part of the first fruits harvest. But for many, they will remain physical human beings, but they will be at one. And, and the, the first fruits harvest will be with Christ overseeing this operation on the earth as the natural born Jews and the natural born uh, lost tribes of Israel now are gathered together and placed in the promised land and everybody is at one with God and then that enables what we will celebrate next the feast of ingathering that we cannot have as Pastor uh, Deacon Jan mentioned in his uh, sermon no, ga- no tabernacles without atonement atonement is a crit- this, this day is critical and there can be no ingathering of all the nations unless God's people are, are, are accepting the redemption and are at one with him. And this now, we can see this as we look at Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 8, uh, what, what this at one enables. Zechariah 8 and verse 20, Thus says the Lord of hosts, It shall yet come to pass. This it hasn't happened yet. It shall yet come to pass. Guaranteed. The, the word of God has spoken this, declaring the end from the beginning. It must happen. Declaring from ancient days that which is not yet done. Saying, my plans, my counsel shall stand. So this shall stand. Nobody can reverse this. This absolutely will happen. It shall yet come to pass that there shall come people. People will come. This is the ingathering. And the inhabitants of many cities, and the inhabitants of one city, shall go to another city, saying... Let us go speedily. Let's not waste any time. There's been a change of heart in the world. Let us go speedily to pray before the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. And I will go also. Yes, many people and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts. Where? In Jerusalem. The whole world will acknowledge that God is the God of Zion. God is the Holy One of Israel. And he dwells in Jerusalem. And there will no more be this rebellion and this blindness. Instead, come on, we can't get there fast enough to celebrate the feast. Let's go to Jerusalem and seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem. And to pray before the Lord. It will be a a world full of prayer. Verse 23. Thus says the Lord of hosts, In those days it shall come to pass that ten men shall take hold Out of all languages of the nations, here are the Gentiles now, who acknowledge in the at-one-ment who God's people are. Physical people on the earth. That ten men shall take hold out of all languages of the nations, even shall take hold of the skirt of him that is a Jew, saying, we will go with you. Here are the people that were hated, that were being destroyed, that were, were, were being discounted and ridiculed, And now God has come to save them and to gather them from the four corners of the earth and to restore them. And now the Gentiles acknowledge God is the God of Israel. He dwells in Jerusalem and his scepter is in Judah. They shall take hold of the skirt of him that is a Jew, saying, We will go with you. For we have heard, finally, that God is with you. So brethren, what a great opportunity we have to be a part of this operation. And not just to be a part of it, but to be part of the first fruits in this operation and to be Gentiles grafted in in this incredible operation in Romans 12 and verse 34 Paul says, our last scripture here for who has known the mind of the Lord 
Or who has been his counselor? Are we to tell God what he's doing? Or should we search the scriptures to learn what is in his mind and what his counsel is and what he's doing and to support, as a loving wife, to support our husband in what he is doing? Or who has first given to him and it shall be recompensed unto him again? Does he owe us something? Or, Or do we owe him and that's why we give? For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. I beg you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that that we present our bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service, given what we're a part of, and to be not conformed to to this world. Let's just stop it. Let's not get caught up with this world. Let's pull away from this world and prepare for what this day pictures. Don't be conformed to this world. Rather, be you transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. There are are behaviors that are not good. There are behaviors that are unacceptable. Let Let us be transformed and conformed to Christ so we can prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So this opportunity, brethren, that we have to give on these high days God doesn't owe us anything. He he owes us nothing, and yet he sacrificed his son for our redemption. And there is one hope in this calling. There isn't a redemption for us, but a different redemption for the Jews. It's one redemption for all of God's covenant people. Yes, there is a first fruits harvest, and, and there's a fall harvest, but ultimately all will be at one in God. So this great opportunity, brethren, uh, to give is just the tip of the iceberg. And if you want to support our work, just go to cgicanada.org, click on Donate. You can make an online donation, or you can see our address here where you can uh, mail your check to support this work if your heart so moves you. What a great opportunity we have, brethren, to gather together, to be edified by the Word of God. Let's praise God. Uh, If I don't see you again between now and the feast, uh, have a wonderful Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, enjoy the rest of this beautiful high day and what it pictures and let's be ready to feast on the word that's about to be brought to us by our brother yes that's right exactly thank you Pastor Agent for this very encouraging offertory message as you hear there's no reasons not to give anything to God God is not obligated to give us anything but we are very much obligated to give him everything, whatever we have. Not just our money, but our time, our effort, and the whole confirmation process as we're going through. So thank you again to both of you, Pastor Agent and uh, Brother Lender, for the opening prayer. Now at this time, we'll have a hymn. So if you have a hymn, then you, you can turn to page 122. If you don't have a hymn, no, that's okay. The words will be projected on the screen. It's taken from 122. Praise the eternal with absolve. Praise the eternal with a song.
Thank you, Sister Jennifer. What an appropriate song for this day. So now at this time we'll have a scripture reading, and scripture reading today is taken from Second Chronicles chapter 7, Second Chronicles chapter 7, and we'll read verses 12 to 22. So I'll give you a few seconds to turn on your Bible to Second Chronicles chapter 7, verses 12 to 22. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and sent to him and said to him, I had heard your prayers, prayer, and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. Then I shut up when I shut up heaven and there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people. If my people, who are called by my name, would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear them from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to prayer made in this place. For now I have chosen and sacrificed this house, that my name may be there forever, and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. As for you, if you walk before me as your father David walked, and do according to all that I have commanded you, and if you keep my statutes and my judgment, then, then I will establish the throne of your kingdom, as I covenanted with David your father, saying, You shall not fail to have a man as a ruler in Israel. But if you turn away and forsake my statutes and my commandments, which I have set before you, and go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will approve them from my land which I have given them, and this house which I have sanctified for my name, I will cast out of my sight, I will make it a proverb and a bywords among, among all people. And as for this house which is exalted, everyone who passed by it will be astonished and say, Why has this Lord done this to this land and to this house? Then they will answer, Because they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, and embraced other gods, and worshipped them, and served them. Therefore, he has, he has brought all this calamity on them. Amen. And now at this time, brethren, you'll have an announcement. I'll just, just, I'll just go quickly through some of the announcements. We don't have many. Just please remember the Wednesday Bible study, the Wednesday weekly Bible study will take place at 7.30 Eastern time this Wednesday. And this whole session, this whole hour session will be dedicated to you for Q&A, for questions and answers. So the new, no new material will be covered, but this specific segment of the Bible study will be dedicated to your questions and to your answers. So please, please come prepare. Have some questions. You might have some questions. You might have some misunderstanding over the cover material, whether it be a book of Psalms or maybe something else. But please prepare. Have a questions ready. If you don't have a question, just please bring a comment or two. It will be highly appreciated. And all this weekly Bible study will be all over the place, YouTube, Facebook, and church online. So please come this coming Wednesday, this coming Wednesday just a few days away, at 7.30 Eastern Time. And here, our regular weekly Sabbath service will resume on October 17. Our weekly Sabbath service coming from Burlington will resume on October 17. And for all of us here local who are going to the feast in Collingwood, just please remember that the opening night service will take place on Friday evening at 7.30. The opening night, the opening night service for the Feast of Tabernacle will take place on this Friday, this Friday, this week. So that will take care of all the announcements. And now, 
Just we, you heard the title of the message, Is Your Soul Afflicted? Is Your Soul Afflicted? By Pastor Molly Palmatier. But before we go to this message, we'll have a one more hymn, and this hymn is taken from, from the hymn from page 43, Living for Jesus. And right after this, we'll have the main message, Is Your Soul Afflicted?
Good high Sabbath afternoon, everyone. It is a pleasure to be here together again on this most holy day, as we heard both in the offertory message and the opening comments. It is a it is a such a pleasure and a privilege and an honor to be able to come before God on a day that He has um, put forth for us from creation and uh, set apart for us that we may come and worship Him, that we may learn from His Word. Certainly extend my welcome to the many that are joining us here today, whether it be your first time or you continue to join in with us. It's a pleasure and a privilege and an honor to be able to come together and worship our great God on this most holy day. These annual reminders that we have, that we celebrate, and that we're in the midst of right now. I hope you were able to tune into the message this last Sabbath, No Tabernacle Without a Point, Without Atonement. It was a profound uh, message that really delved into Leviticus 16 and other parts of Hebrews as well. And this message is going to build upon that. In fact, as you probably come to expect and realize, our messages tend to drive off of one another. And uh, in fact, uh, this message will build off of the many messages that have been going back for several, several weeks. But again, this message, this last Sabbath, no tabernacle without atonement. We can almost consider this message part two to that uh, atonement message. When I was young, growing up in the church, this would have been in the late 70s into the 1980s, the Day of Atonement was a far different experience for me then than it is now. It was a hurdle, and I've mentioned this to, to folks recently in our after-sermon discussion, it was a hurdle that needed to be overcome so that we could get to the very joyous Feast of Tabernacles. And I know everyone is looking forward to the Feast of Tabernacles, and even in the, the unique state that we'll be celebrating it this year. Many will be celebrating it at home, many in smaller groups. Certainly not the, the standard way we've come to, to expect to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, but it is a commanded assembly for us to, to take part in for eight days and to come and rejoice before God. But as I look back on my time as a young boy in the, in the church, growing up in the church, the Day of Atonement was a struggle. It was a hurdle. We got to get through these 24 hours because then in less than, less than a week, we'll be off to the feast. We will have, would have celebrated the Feast of Trumpets on a, typically then it was a double service with great potluck and come together with more than one congregation. There may have been several hundred of us come together. What a joyous time that was. But then, we had to get through this day of atonement, and then we would be off to the feast. It was strategically placed, I suppose, in between that Feast of Trumpets and the, the uh, Feast of Tabernacles. But it was a looming marker every year on the calendar. Here comes the day. Before we get to go and have a, a, a boatload of fun at the feast, we're going to have to get through the day of atonement. To a young person, fasting simply didn't make any sense. I mean, why put yourself through the torture of not eating, not drinking, all in the name of looking forward to Satan being put away and no longer able to influence mankind? I'm sure there were other, te- I'm sure there were other teachings that uh, surrounded this day back then, but to a young man who could eat and not put on any weight at all, this day was somewhat confusing. What makes it all the more confusing, or what made it all the more confusing, is that Leviticus 23 doesn't even say fast. It says to afflict your soul. 
Couldn't there be other less uncomfortable ways to afflict one's soul? And then I grew up, some would say a little, and in studying God's word, both on my own and with others in a studious congregation, there's so much more to this day. So many more lessons, so many, so many more deep meanings to this day. In fact, the ceremonies that God commanded the Levitical priesthood to perform rival that of Passover in terms of details and intricacies. In fact, we heard Pastor Adrian mention the difference there between Passover and atonement. One was a personal uh, period of repentance and one is a national period of repentance. But they, they're very comparable. This past Sabbath, Deacon Jan provided a very detailed message leading us into this day. That message I previously mentioned, no tabernacle without atonement. And in that message, he walked us through the many atoning sacrifices in Leviticus 16. He showed us how the tablets of the testimony were placed in the Ark of the Covenant. And that this day we are celebrating drives off the memorial we celebrated nine days earlier on the Feast of Trumpets. And then it points us as well forward to the Feast of Tabernacles. As much as I couldn't get to the Feast of Tabernacles as a young man, as a young boy, without having to first go through the Day of Atonement, we are told that God so badly wants to dwell with his people, but he can't, as we heard in the message on Sabbath, until this day is completely fulfilled. God so badly wants to dwell with his people. The, we, we see that, as was mentioned on the Sabbath, in Revelation chapter 21, verse 3, We'll pick it up in verse 2. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And Pastor Adrian mentioned that connection, that the church is the bride of Jesus Christ. He mentioned that just in his offertory message. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there should be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There should be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And we see, as we just heard, this, this at one that will take place. And God so badly wants to be dwelling with his people, but he can't until this day is completely fulfilled. There really can be no tabernacle without atonement. God's covenant people, the covenant people of Israel, not just Judah that occupies the land today that we know as Israel, but all of the people of Israel will be offered the opportunity to come back into covenant with God, to accept Jesus Christ as their high priest, to truly repent, and to then to be restored. The rest of mankind can't experience this restoration until this happens. The ceremony of the two goats that we looked at briefly this past Sabbath showed how this day was one of of national repentance for the covenant people of God. It was the one time each year where a bull, a ram, and two kid goats were selected as part of an elaborate requirement for the atonement for the children of Israel. Again, if you missed that message, feel free to access it in the archives. It really does set up this one and is a key component in understanding the Day of Atonement, because we're going to launch off of that message here today. So this day, as we heard, centers on the atonement and restoration of Israel 
God's covenant people. Let's go to Leviticus 23 as we begin. Just to continue to introduce this, Leviticus 23, very appropriate that we go to the part of the Torah that outlines this appointed time that we are keeping today. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, verse 26, Also the tenth day of the seventh month shall be the day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation for you. You shall afflict your souls and an offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. You shall do no work on that same day, for it is the day of atonement to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. For if any for any person who is not afflicted in soul on that same day shall be cut off from his people. And any person who does any work on that same day, that person I will destroy from among his people. You shall do no manner of work. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all of your dwellings. And it shall be to you a Sabbath of solemn rest. And you shall afflict your souls on the ninth day of the month at evening. From evening to evening, you shall celebrate your Sabbath. When we keep the Day of Atonement according to the commands of our Creator, we see some very specific requirements that are unique to this holy day. When you walk through Leviticus 23, you can see many commonalities in the, the various appointed times, the various festivals that we keep. But this particular day has a couple of specific requirements that are unique to its, its, to, unique to its keeping. The first that we saw there was that we should do no work at all. No work at all. Except for, as was pointed out in the offertory message, all the work that the high priest does. Obviously picturing all the work that Jesus Christ does to bring his people into restoration. But for the general population of the covenant people, no work was to be done at all. This is different from the other days where no servile work was to be done. No work that served oneself was to be done because there were feastings to, to happen. There were there was, there was food to prepare for the for the, these festivals. But on this particular day, there was no work to be done at all. And that was unique and important. The second one we see is that we are to afflict our souls from sunset the evening before to sunset at the end of, of, of this particular day, the end of the 10th day. We are to afflict our souls. In fact, it says so three times throughout this these seven verses. So that makes it rather important for us to to pick up on. So you're fasting today. You're, we've got little over, little less than four hours left in our particular fast here as the time stands right now. But you're fasting today. So the concept of not doing, of doing, not doing any work of any kind, that's something we can get our heads around. There's no, there's, there's no need to prepare food. There's no need to, to do anything of any kind, quite frankly, as we, as we get through this day without any food or drink and conserve our energy, it really is no, there's no, no disagreement or no questioning the fact that there's no work to be done on this day, just from a simple physiological standpoint. So you're not working, you're laying low, you're fasting, but I have a question for you. Is your soul afflicted? You may be fasting, but is your soul afflicted? A number of weeks back, Pastor Adrian spoke on the subject of the zeal of the Lord, where he described the biblical narrative in detail as it pertains to three specific groups of people, Israel, the church, 
and the Gentiles. You, if you've seen that, you'll recall that. If you haven't, do go back in the archives and, and have a listen. Knowing what part we play in the narrative is important because the entire plan of God, as represented by these holy days, is laid plain for us. But we must play our part, and we must play it right. We can't play the parts of others in whose groups we don't belong. We must play our part correctly, and we must play it right. So as members playing the part of the church today, let's ask the question, is your soul afflicted? And how does the answer to that question fit into the narrative of the, of the many messages that you have heard here over the last number of weeks and months? To begin, we're going to do a bit of a word study. Let's compare the Hebrew words for fasting and afflicting. We begin with the word fasting. It is the Hebrew word sum. It's, if you're taking notes, it's in Strong's, it's 6684 in the Hebrew concordance. And it's used 21 times in the Hebrew scriptures. And each time, it literally means, no surprise here, not to eat or drink for a specific amount of time. Let's look at one example, 2 Samuel chapter 1. Just to get the flavor here, what we're talking about as we do this word study, as we begin this message and ask the question, is your soul afflicted? Second Samuel chapter one, verse 11. Again, this is for context. Saul and Jonathan have just been killed. And David is reacting to that death. Verse 11. Therefore, David took hold of his own clothes and tore them. And so did all the men who were with him. And they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and for Jonathan, his son, for the people of the Lord, for the house of Israel, because they had fallen by the sword. So there was an occasion here where it made no sense to eat. That they probably didn't feel like eating. But in their mourning, in their, in their, their emotional state that they were in, the Lord's anointed had been killed. His best friend, the, the one he considered closer than a brother, had also been killed. And it was appropriate during their time of mourning that they fasted. Leviticus 23, where we just were, those seven verses that talk about the Feast of the Day of Atonement, the word for fasting actually is not used there at all. Remember the command not to do any work that day. That is that is clearly laid for us because the day was set aside, as, as we saw and we'll see again when we go back to it, the day was set aside in its entirety for you to make atonement before your God. And verse 32, where we read in, in Leviticus 23, reinforced that the process was a 24-hour period. So if our entire focus should be on God, not ourselves, on, on becoming at one with him, seeking reconciliation and atonement with our creator, completely on that, on that focus and not ourselves, not eating and not preparing food or drink makes complete sense. So why the command to afflict the soul? Why not use the word fast? Let's look at this word afflict. In the Hebrew scriptures, it's 6031 in Strong's Concordance. It's the word anah. 
let's take a let's take a bit of a, a, a glance through the scriptures and at some examples where this word is used and see what we can learn. We're going to begin back in Genesis 15. Genesis 15. Spend the next few minutes here just going through some scriptures that use this word enough. And I want you to get the see how this word is used. It's used in various ways, but there's a common meaning when we get down to the end of this. Genesis chapter 15. This here was uh, where we are here is God covenanting with Abram. Looking back at the, the Passover, a different time of year. But verse 12, we'll pick it up in verse 12. When the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. Then he said to Abram, know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them, and they will afflict them 400 years. And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. Afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. And as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they'll return here. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. That In verse 13, we see that they will be afflicted by, a, by another nation. That God promises, laid, lays, lays forth here for Abram, that his descendants will be afflicted by this other nation. Let's go forward to Genesis 16, next chapter. This is the conflict between Sarah or Sarai and Hagar regarding their uh, the regarding Ishmael. Verse six. We'll pick it up in verse six. So Abram said to Sarai, "Indeed, your maid is in your hand." Do to her as you please. And when Sarai dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to shore. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from the presence of my my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. In this passage we just read, it's used, this word anah is used twice. The obvious one that you pulled out there in verse 9, where the angel advises her and tells her to go back and submit herself under the hand of Sarah. But in verse 6, it's also used when we read that Sarah dealt harshly with her. That dealt harshly is also the word anah. So we see here this word afflict can have multi, has multiple uses. Let's go forward to Exodus 1. We'll read here from Exodus 1. The fulfillment of what we read in Genesis 15. Exodus 1, and for time's sake, we're just going to cut into the context. You know the story here, the introduction of the, the change in status of the people of, of uh, the descendants of Joseph from being respected in the courts of Pharaoh to being now at the time that Moses was born, subject to all of this affliction. Verse 11. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh supply cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were in dread of the children of Israel. Again, for time's sake, this is referencing, we'll cover this, I'm sure, in much more detail in six months when we're back preparing for the Passover. But we see here, the Egyptians afflicted 
the people of God, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob here, as they enslaved them and were their taskmasters. Let's go forward to Numbers 24. Look at another example of this word, anah, used. Numbers 24. And again, the purpose of this message isn't to dig into the meanings of the meanings of uh, these passages that we're reading right now. Let's just get a, a, a taste for this word anah that is used here. And this is this fourth oracle from Balaam. And we'll pick it up in verse 23, right in the midst of the context. Then he took up his oracle and said, Alas, who shall live when God does this? But ships shall come from the coasts of Cyprus, and they shall afflict Ashur and afflict Eber, and so shall Amalek until he perishes. So we see here nations falling under subjection to other nations after after uh, losing what amounts to these battles and skirmishes that these nations will afflict other nations. We see that as the use of this word anon. Now let's go forward to Numbers 30. The final example here, Numbers chapter 30, and we'll get a look at the, we'll pull all this together and get a, a look at the real meaning behind this word and not, and what it, what it really has to do with. Numbers chapter 30, verse 10. Again, this is more of God's law being expounded to the, the, his covenant people, Israel, here in the Torah. Verse 10, if she vowed, referring to, uh, a wife, if she vowed in her husband's house or bound herself by, a, by an agreement with an oath and her husband heard it and made no response to her and did not overrule her, then all her vows shall stand and every agreement by which she bound herself shall stand. So, again, this is this is referring to the, the, the relationship between a man and his wife in the presence of God. And that and as we'll see here. When a, when a, the wife makes an oath, there's an opportunity here for the husband to step in. But if her husband truly made them void on the day he heard them, then whatever proceeded from her lips concerning her vows or concerning the agreement binding her, it shall not stand. Her husband has made them void and the Lord will release her. Every vow and every binding oath to afflict her soul, her husband may confirm it or her husband may make it void. Now, if her husband makes no response, whatever to her from day to day, then he confirms all her vows or all the agreements that bind her. He confirms them because he has made no response to her on the day that he heard them. But if he does not make them void after he has heard them, then he shall bear her guilt. What we see here is God's allowance in a, in a godly marriage that the husband has authority, and don't, don't misunderstand that word authority, but he has oversight over the vows of his wife. And God even allows the husband to nullify those, those oaths so that the woman is not, is not uh, bound by them. And God will honor that if that comes from the decision of her husband. So what do we see here? Is we, this is just, these are only five uses. There's, there's many, many more of this word and not. But we see it all has to do with coming under authority. That's the common bond here that we see in these verses. The family of Abraham, 
family of Abram, coming under the authority of the Egyptians. Hagar being under the authority of Sarah and being sent back to by the angel of the Lord, back to that authority, under that authority. Defeated nations coming under the authority through battle, through the loss and battle of other nations. God honoring that a woman is under the authority of her husband. In fact, and we didn't go here. There are several instances of, of, instances of this word being used in terms of mistreating someone. Recall these stories. We won't go to them. But Laban's warning to Jacob not to mistreat his daughters, Leah and Rachel. The sexual violation of Dinah by Shechem. That actually is also the word Anah was used. The warnings in Exodus 22 not to mistreat the widows or the fatherless. When we are even mistreated, we come under the authority of the one who's doing the inflicting. So we can see this word anah has a myriad of uses in scripture, both positive and negative. But the commonality is that we come under the authority of someone. So fasting, that word sum, and affliction, the word anah, are distinct, very distinct. One is not the other. But is there a connection between them? Is there a connection between them? Let's start to build that case that there is a connection between fasting and affliction. Let's look at a few examples here of what it means to be afflicted by God. We looked in the last uh, number of verses of affliction by other parties, by the Egyptians, by Sarah, by um, um uh, those who are mistreating, we had several examples of those who were mistreating, nations that will afflict other nations, and the the authority of the husband over the wife to unburden, if required, a wife from an oath. But let's look at being afflicted by God, because the word anah is used several places in Scripture in reference to being afflicted by, our, by Yahweh, by our Creator, by our God. Let's go to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, certainly look forward to continuing the Psalms and the weekly Bible studies, and we'll get to Psalm 119 eventually. Let's pick it up here in verse 65. We'll read this particular verse. When I say verse, the, the I mean the acrostic verse, we'll read the the this section of eight verses here, beginning with verse 65. You've dealt well with your servant, David says, O Lord, according to your word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe your commandments. Before I was afflicted, before you afflicted me, I went astray. But now, after your affliction, I keep your word. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. The proud have forged a lie against me, but I will keep your precepts with my whole heart. Their heart is as fat as grease, but I delight in your law. It is good for me that I have been afflicted. There are cases we read where it is absolutely not good to be afflicted. But when we are afflicted by God, David here, the psalmist, says it is a good thing that I've been afflicted, that I may learn your statutes that I may learn your statutes, that I may learn your law, that I may learn your expectations. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of coins of gold and silver. Here, 
this word and is used twice in these in verse 71 and in verse 67. Because when we are afflicted, as David so rightly points out, God can teach us. We are in a position of being teachable, malleable. It brings to heart what we read in, in Matthew about having hearts like little children. When we afflict ourselves before God, it puts us in this mindset. God can work with us. And we see here what David said. It's a good thing when you afflict me. I don't like being afflicted by those in the world. I'll accept it, but I don't like it. I love being afflicted by you because you teach me your ways, because I learn your paths. We'll continue on in the next acrostic verse. Your hands, verse 73, have made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Those who fear you will be glad when they see me, because I have hoped in your word. I know, O Lord, that your judgments are right, and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. In faithfulness you have afflicted me. Let I pray your merciful kindness, your chesed, your covenant love, be for my comfort, according to your word, to your servant. And this brings to mind all that we've been hearing about and, and, and studying over the last number of weeks. That God is faithful to his covenant. That the covenant love he has for his people that David here conveys back to him, that he knows. He loves being afflicted by God. He has trust because God afflicts in faithfulness and in covenant love. When God afflicts us, it's okay. It may not be comfortable initially because we ask for him to show us our weaknesses, to show us where we need to be better. But who would you rather afflict you? Those who don't have your best interest at heart or your creator who afflicts you in covenant love? Let's go to Genesis 18. Look again at this concept of being afflicted by God. And we'll see this mindset here in in Abraham. Genesis 18, this is the famous, the well-known story of Abraham going back and forth with God over would he really destroy a city if there were faithful people in it. And you recall they whittle each other, he whittles God down. But there's an interesting, just to pull this out of, out of here, an interesting use of this word anah. We'll pick it up in verse 26. So the Lord said, If I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. And Abraham answered and said, Indeed now I am, I who am but dust and ashes, have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Here's where the English language doesn't always convey what the writer, in this case Moses, wanted to convey. That word answered is the word anah. That word answered is the word anah. And it conveys the tone that Abraham had. This is the the context of Abraham's relationship that he had with God. He wasn't arguing with God. The English word doesn't capture its full meaning. Abraham came under the authority of God. And with a full understanding that God was his creator, was he who he was in covenant with, 
with that tone, he said, I am, I who am but dust and ashes, have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Do you consider who you are speaking with when you fall to your knees and pray? This isn't your boss. This isn't some Hollywood starlet or, or Hollywood star. This isn't some professor in your university. This isn't some CEO. This is the creator of the universe that you are going into conversation with. What we can see how Abraham spoke this way, how David spoke this way, when they fully understood what it meant to come under God's authority, that they were happy to do so. And they realized his, he realized his place. This is how we learn what it means to be afflicted by God. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8. A little bit more insight into being afflicted by God. Because as we said, we, all of God's people need to go through the refiner's fire, need to be washed with fuller soap. We need to have our, our weaknesses exposed so that we may address them and, and overcome them and become more, become of the mind of our, our groom to be, Jesus Christ. Deuteronomy 8 verse 1. Every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe, that you may live and multiply, and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to your fathers. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and to test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And that is what God is about when he afflicts us. This word to humble you, that is that word or not to, aff- to afflict. He needed to know what was in our hearts. He needed to know what was in their hearts. When he afflicts us, he needs to know what is in our hearts, where we can be, where we can improve, where we become stronger in covenant with him. Whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger. There's a connection there between affliction and food. Don't, don't, don't over, don't overlook that. He humbled you and allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor your, did your fathers know that he might make, make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And there's a connection we're starting to see between affliction and hunger and being fed by the bread of life. God tested and he humbled them so that they knew whatever blessings they had came completely from God's goodness, from God's adherence to his covenant and their submission to him. We see that we'll drop down to verse 11. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments and his statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have and there's there's the we're seeing the connection here. When we're hungry and humbled, we realize we're, we are at the mercy of our God. But when we're full, when we're fat and full and have no need, it's easy to forget. By not keeping his judgments, verse 11 continuing, 
His statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them. And when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold are multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led you through that great and terrible wilderness, in which fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land where there was no water, who brought water for you out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers didn't know, that he might humble you, again, this word or not, that he might humble you, and he might test you to do you good in the end. Then you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. That's not what God wants. He wants us to realize that any goodness we have comes from our obedience to the Torah, our obedience to God's expectations, and that he can invoke blessings upon us because we obey his law. Because when he afflicts us, and we see that in verse 16, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. When we read those other examples of those who afflicted others, it wasn't for their good. It was for their harm. Or it could have been, if, if not for their harm, it was at least for their own good. Here, God afflicts for our good. God afflicts for our good. And he wants us to remember when we are afflicted that we are in submission to him, that we have come under covenant with him. Because it is all about remembering the covenant. And we see that in verse 18. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. It is all about remembering that we are in covenant with our creator God. So we've seen examples of being afflicted by others, and that's not for our own good. We've seen examples here now of being afflicted by God, where it absolutely is for our own good. We have our our weaknesses addressed. We become stronger. We learn more about his law. We learn more about what makes him happy. We learn more about being in covenant. Now let's make this connection here to affliction through fasting. Why Why didn't Moses just say fast? Why did he specifically use, why did God, through Moses, use the word afflict rather than fast? Let's begin in Psalm 35. Because there are those who say there's no requirement to fast. It doesn't say to fast. Because there's another, as we looked, there's another Hebrew word for fasting. And that's not the one that was used. But let's look why it is a commanded fast on this day. Psalm 35, verse 10. And again, we don't have too much time to go off into the, the context of all of these all of these uh, scriptures that we're reading we uh if you missed psalm 35 in the in the uh, bible study go do look it up in the archives but we see here verse uh let's pick it up in verse 9 and my soul shall be joyful in the lord and it shall rejoice in his salvation all my bones shall say lord who is like you delivering the poor from him who is too strong for for him Yes, the poor and the needy from him who plunders him. And we can see, and if you've been following along in the Psalms, this is this is a lot of what the, the, the theme of the Psalms are. Comparing being afflicted by others 
versus coming under the, the being in covenant with God and knowing that God has our long-term goodness in mind. Verse 11, fierce witnesses rise up. They ask me things I do not know. They reward me evil for good to the sorrow of my soul. You hear, you hear the psalmist is comparing those who afflict him for their gain versus God when we're in covenant with him. There's none like him. They reward me evil for good to the sorrow of my soul. But as for me, when they were sick, when those who were, who were afflicting me were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled myself with fasting, and my prayer would return to my own heart. I paced about as though he were my friend or brother, and I bowed down heavily, heavily as one who mourns for his brother. So in the midst of being afflicted by those who have their own interests at heart, the psalmist was crying out here to God to remember him. But when, as, and as we, as we've walked through in, as uh, some of the other messages have walked us through the narrative, there will come a time when these afflictions will be turned back on those who are doing the afflicting. And here, David experienced that and he was sad for them. He went in prayer. He humbled himself with fasting when he saw those who were afflicting him being afflicted themselves. How could he do that? It was because he was new and he felt and he co- completely bought into the fact that he was had there was safety under God's authority. While those who persecuted him suffered, he prayed for them. He fasted and prayed for them. He humbled himself before God. And in this humbling, this anah, he also assumed, he also fasted. We see this, this connection here. Let's go to Ezra chapter 8. Start to see why in some cases, affliction is taught through fasting. Ezra chapter 8. And here we see just a, an insert here by, by Ezra. He persuaded the king to let them return to Jerusalem and did so by talking about God's, God's power, his, his, his greatness, that their God would allow them to return to Jerusalem, his, his power and authority. And then his, his, as we see here, his struggle, his, his mental struggle here, was there was an armed escort being offered here. But did they really need an armed escort? If their full, if their full uh, trust was in God, this great God that he had been expounding on, did they really need an armed escort back to Jerusalem? So let's see what happened here in verse 21 of Ezra chapter 8. Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river of Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before our God. There's that connection again. Anah, the afflicting, the humbling of ourselves, and fasting, so to seek from him the right way for us. When we afflict ourselves, humble ourselves before our God, and do so in fasting, we seek his will. And that's the difference. We saw the, the affliction of those who had their own interest at heart. They were seeking their own will. They were seeking their own, their own vanity, their own pride. Here, Ezra was leading them to seek God's will. And our little ones and all our possessions who seek from him the right way for us, the right way for our little ones and the right way for our possessions. For I was ashamed to request of the king an escort of soldiers and horsemen to help us against the enemy on the road, because we had spoken to the king, saying the hand of our God is upon all those for good who seek him. 
and his power and his wrath are against all those who forsake him. So what do we do? Well, in this case, because it was the name of God, and if this had this had ramifications on the name of we've on the name of God, and we've seen over the course of our studies and our sermons, the that God does things and, and things are done to to glorify His name. Ezra was concerned that their actions could bring dishonor to the name of God, and he was stuck. So they fasted and entreated our God for answers, and He answered their prayer. So again. Fasting and humbling, combining the use of Ana and Sum to seek God's guidance. Let's go back to Leviticus 23, where we began. Let's revisit this now with a bit of a larger perspective. And let's read it again. But first I want to read it with the word fast. And then I'm going to read it the way... God had Moses write it. And then we'll see, we'll start to see why, based on all that we've seen so far, why God actually used the word afflict and not fast. Fasting is inherent here. There's, there's no other way in this case for a 24-hour period for us to do all that we need to do mentally with, which, with the, to, to fulfill God's request to afflict our souls and worry about filling our stomachs. So fasting is, is understood here, but there's a reason why he doesn't use the word fast, because it's so much more than that. And we'll get that when we read this here. Now listen to this. What if it said this? And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Also the tenth day of this seventh month shall be the day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation for you. You shall not eat or drink for twenty-four hours. You shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. You shall do no work on that same day, for it is the day of atonement to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. It's the day of atonement, and it's the day for you not to eat for 24 hours. For any person who eats or drinks within this time period shall be cut off from his people. And any person who does any work on that same day, that person I will destroy from among his people. You shall do no manner of work. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations and all your dwellings. It shall be to you a day of rest and a day not to eat and not to drink. On the ninth day of the month at evening, from evening to evening, you shall celebrate your Sabbath. This has just become a checklist of things we need to do. I can't work. I need to make an offering and I can't eat or drink. There's nothing, there's nothing else to be done here. Then we move forward and think of, and we'll get into this, Isaiah 58, or some of the Pharisaical, uh, the, the prayer of the Pharisee, where he was telling God that God owed him because he fasted faithfully twice a week. God could have written the word fast here, but he didn't because it means so much more. He, he told them three times to afflict their souls. Not just to fast, but to afflict their souls. This day is so much bigger than fasting. I didn't get it as a kid because it really was only about the fasting. And that's okay. That's what happened. That's when you, when you're young and you're, you're, you're growing in faith into my teenage years, it really was all about getting through the day. But this day is so much more than about fasting. 
It begins with fasting. Absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt, it begins with fasting. Because there really is no better way for us to grasp the concept that we fall under God's authority than through the analogy of food. Christ used this in laying out his ministry, laying out the plans for the, 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 the syllabus for, for the Christianity 101, as we like to say, in the Sermon on the Mount. Let's go to Matthew chapter 6, and we'll see this. We'll see this connection between coming under God's authority and food. And why fasting on this day helps us to afflict our souls. But it can't be just about the fasting. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Why start here? We read this often, that, that we can only be under the authority. We can only be a tr- true slave of what? We can either come under the authority of God, Anah, or come under the authority of, some, of something other than God, also Anah. So where do we put our allegiances? To mammon or to God? Let's continue and see how Christ taught this. Verse 25, therefore I say to you, don't worry about your life what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body or what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow neither sow nor, nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For all of these things the Gentiles seek. Non-covenant people worry about themselves. Non-covenant people are in covenant with themselves. It's important how my stomach feels, how I look, where my next meal is going to come from. But your heavenly father knows. He knows you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's where our allegiance is to. When we afflict our souls on this day, when we remind ourselves and we connect back to the Feast of Trumpets, this memorial of the covenant that we go back to, and we have, have we, we understand the process of restoration through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and we have the, the, the stories of the, of the goats and the bull and the ram, Leviticus 16, that we walked through this past Sabbath, that allows us to remain in covenant. Because this, the high priest that was sacrificed for, for our sins, that we have, that we have been, come into covenant with Jesus Christ. This helps us focus. This day helps us focus on that. We don't need to worry today about food or drink. We need to be reminded that we are in covenant with God. That we are part of his covenant people. And that comes with expectations. And we seek first the kingdom of God. And we seek first his righteousness. 
and everything else will be added to us. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. A true fast really does afflict the soul. It reconnects us to to the covenant by reminding us that we have come under the authority of God. And when we come under the authority of God, it means that we are learning and following his laws, his Torah, his words, his precepts, from Torah all the way through Revelation. Even when it doesn't make sense, even when we may not agree, even when we may not understand. As members of the covenant, as afflicted souls under the authority of our God, we do what he asks us to do. Even when it doesn't make sense to us, even when our feelings are at play, even when our feelings may be hurt, we follow the expectations of our God. And we, have, and we allow our souls to be afflicted so that God's name may be glorified, so that his plan may be glorified, so that we may point everyone to the greatness of our God and our Lord Jesus Christ. This is why Moses didn't command us just to fast. This is why God, through Moses, through the pen of Moses, didn't say, you know what, just don't eat for 24 hours and give an offering and don't work. That's easy. Afflicting your souls, that's the hard part. That's the hard part. Coming under the authority of God and not mammon, that's the constant reminder. Because there's so many distractions. Satan is trying to get us to give up our connection to God. To switch from being under the authority of God to being under the authority of mammon. To be under under his authority. Let's go to Isaiah 58. And we'll see this connection between true fasting and affliction. And we'll see why Israel, the people of God, back then and through biblical times, really misunderstood what it meant to afflict the soul. They got the fasting part, which we saw as we uh, we didn't we didn't read it, but that prayer of the of the the Pharisee who was uh, the self-righteous Pharisee who was so proud of the fact that he faithfully every week fasted twice. They got that part. They didn't get the afflicted soul part. But we'll be able to teach them if we remain faithful to our covenant. Isaiah 58 verse 1. And as we read this, remember our place in the covenant. Remember that message on the to the zeal of the Lord. And that there are three distinct groups, Israel, the church, and the Gentiles. Remember your place. And remember which, which the, the part that we, with the part of the plan that we play as the church, as the first fruits. And as we read this, isn't this a message that Israel needs? Israel needs this message now. Cry aloud, verse one, and spare not. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways. As a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God, they ask of me the ordinances of justice, and they take delight in approaching God. Why have we fasted and you haven't seen? Why have we afflicted our souls and you take notice? You take no notice. 
They thought they did both. They thought they did both. But really what they did was they thought that afflicting the soul just meant fasting. And they had checked the box on that. So God owed them. We've been fasting. We've been fasting. We've been afflicting our souls. It's the same word It's to, to them. Why haven't you seen all that we've been doing? In fact, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure and exploit all your laborers. They were participating in an awe, but not the way God expects us to afflict, our, to afflict, but the way the many that we read at the beginning afflicted, whether it was Sarah or whether it was Shechem with Dino or whether it was any of the other examples. They exploited, their, 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 they inflicted pain for their own pleasure is what they did. That's not the affliction God wants and the lesson he wants us to learn today. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate and to strike with the, the fist of wickedness. Imagine, imagine fasting for this. Imagine not eating for this so that you could, could look good in the eyes of others for strife and debate. You will not fast as you do this day to make your voice heard on high. I don't care that you're not eating. If you're not afflicting your soul, I could care less that you're not eating or drinking. Is it a fast that I have chosen, a day for man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast, an acceptable day to the Lord? Is this not the fast that I have chosen? And here God expands on what it means to afflict our soul. When we're, If we're going to fast on this day, Here's where our mind should be, to loose the bonds of wickedness, not to get caught up in the ways of this world, to undo the heavy burdens. Re- recall what we read in the New Testament, We're casting, casting our burdens away, leaving them at the feet of Christ, so we may not be burdened and snared by our own past. To let the oppressed go free, that you, may break, that you break every yoke, is enough to share your bread with the hungry. And that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out. And this is physical and spiritual. We've got answers. We are in covenant. And this world needs answers. Israel needs to hear the right way to come back to be restored to their maker. When you see the naked that you cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh. Then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth, shall spring forth speedily. And your righteousness shall go before you. When you really afflict your souls, when you come under God's authority, and that means completely buying into his covenant and knowing that we dig into the Torah and we dig into his way and we we change ourselves and we put off the wickedness and put off our heavy burdens. It's amazing how how well we'll be healed physically and spiritually. Our righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. We don't have to worry about what's behind us because God's got, God has us covered. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you extend the, your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness and your darkness shall be as the noonday. Then the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. And you shall be like a watered garden and like the spring of water whose waters do not fail. Those from among you shall build the old waste places, and you shall raise up the foundations of many generations, and you shall be called the repairer of the breach and the restorer 
of streets to dwell in. Imagine that, being able to teach that to the covenant people of Israel. Stop the pointing of the finger. Stop speaking wickedness. Stop burdening yourself and others with wicked thoughts and and wicked ways. Stop, undo the heavy burdens as we read earlier. Let the oppressed go free. If we are to teach this, how can we be involved in it today? That's the part the church needs to understand. That if we are looking forward to being able to, to help Israel, help Christ restore Israel to him, help Christ restore Israel to God, we can't be involved in this stuff now. So while we may be fasting today, is your soul really afflicted? Have, have you spent preparation time afflicting your soul, examining where you are, examining where you are in, in light of Isaiah 58? Where do you fall here? you fall in the last half where God is explaining through the pen of Isaiah what his expectations are? Or do we fall in his disappointment? in the ways that Israel has been for so the covenant people of God have been for so long. Many Jews fast today. Many Jews do. I have a couple of friends that we exchange fasting messages this day. But how many have afflicted their souls? How many Jews have afflicted their souls? Rather than go through the motions What if they heeded the words of Yahweh and put action behind their pharisaical adherence to a fast? As we heard on this this past Sabbath, when this day is fulfilled, they will afflict their souls. They will be restored. And God's plan can move on to the next phase. It can't move on to the next phase until Israel here is restored to God. And that requires the afflicting of the soul. And if we are to help them, if as first fruits, part of our role as kings and priests will be to help them, we can't be involved in it now. It is so critical every year when we come to this day that we use this time and throughout the year to afflict our souls. That's why fasting is such an important tool in our toolbox that we don't just do it once a year. But it is, it is a frequent reminder and help for us in our walk with God that we use to remind ourselves that we come under his authority, that we are part of his covenant and there are expectations in that regard. Let's spend the last little bit of this message bringing this all together. Not just this message, but the message of the past Sabbath, which itself was built on, predicated on many of the messages before that. Before you go tabernacling later this week, Have you afflicted your soul? Have you afflicted your soul so that you are ready to tabernacle with God? We want to come before God in a spirit of rejoicing. Even this year, and this year is so important that we come together in a spirit of rejoicing. Given all that we've been through this last year, specifically the last six months, much of what has been covered here in our messages. But is your soul afflicted so that God will accept your rejoicing and will want to tabernacle with you? 
since this day is a day of national repentance that we heard about in the offertory message. Can we say this collectively as a congregation, as a group of congregations, and as the entire body of Christ? Is our collective soul afflicted so that God will want to tabernacle with us? And if we aren't practicing this, how can we teach Israel to do this? How can we, how can we help Christ restore Israel to the covenant if we can't do it ourselves? Let's go to Second Chronicles chapter 7, where the scripture reading was. Second Chronicles chapter 7, very famous passage. Um, Vice President Pence had his Bible open to this passage when he took the oath of office a little less than four years ago. Many put many posted on their social media accounts and and used this scripture in memes and and in in various ways to proclaim their faith. Verse 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. We throw that verse out. It's a, it's a real feel good. It's a feel good verse. But there's, there's so much depth to the, this verse. So much depth to the context that we find this verse in that bears our study here over the course of the last few minutes of this message. When we read this word, humble ourselves, it's the Hebrew word, kana. 3665. Does that sound familiar? It's actually an expansion on the root word, ana, this term afflicting oneself. That's why there's such a connection between the, the concept of afflicting oneself and humbling oneself. So we've made the connection between afflicting ourselves and fasting. We've made that clear. Afflicting oneself and humbling ourselves as, as covenant people, the, the, there's various ways to to afflict oneself. We've we've seen that we can afflict others for our own good, or we can afflict ourselves for God's for the greater good. Here, this humbling of ourselves conveys this last one. It it, it adds a, it adds a, it adds a dimension to ana, this Hebrew word kana. If my people would only humble themselves, if they would only afflict their souls, come under my authority, pray. Seek my ways. Turn from wickedness. And I can heal them. I can heal them. I can sanctify their place of worship. I can be with them perpetually, as we'll read later on. Israel can't say that about themselves right now. They're so scattered, so self-absorbed, have pushed away Jesus Christ, might, might acknowledge that he might be a prophet. In fact, many don't even read their own scriptures. I had one... Uh, one fellow say to me, uh, one Jewish friend say to me, I don't even know why I fast. My wife, my kids don't. Um, I, it's, it's all, I've, I've done it all my life. I think I just do it to do it. That's not a, he's fasting. He's not afflicting his soul. Israel can't say this about themselves. Can we? Will God be tabernacling with us this coming week? He will only if we afflict our, if we have afflicted our souls. Because there is no tabernacle without atonement. We heard that this past Sabbath. What's really amazing about this story here, when we 
unfortunately pull verse 14 out. Let's put it back in, paste it back in, and get the full concept of what we're talking about here. And let's finish up this message by providing an overview of the story behind this oft-used scripture. Allow the words, and I'm not. I'm going to make very little comment as we go through some of some of the text here. Allow the words to speak to you as I read this. Recall all that we've studied over the last number of weeks and months. And if my people who are humbled by my name will humble themselves, pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. Think of all that we've studied. Let's go back to chapter 5 and in verse 1. We're going to go through the story here in the last few minutes. So all the work that Solomon had done for the house of the Lord, verse 1, was finished. And Solomon brought in the things which his father David had dedicated, the silver and the gold and all the furnishings. And he put them in the treasuries of the house of God. The temple is built. They're now outfitting it properly. As Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the chief fathers of the children of Israel in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, we talked about that. They might bring the Ark of the Covenant, that sounds familiar, of the Lord up from the city of David, which is Zion. Therefore, all the men of Israel assembled with the king at the feast, which was in the seventh month, this time of, this time of year. So all the elders of Israel came, and the Levites took up the Ark. They brought up the Ark, the tabernacle of meeting, and all the holy furnishings that were in the tabernacle. The priests and the Levites brought them up. Also, King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel who were assembled with him, before the ark were sacrificing sheep and oxen that couldn't be counted or numbered in multitude. Then the priests brought in the ark of the covenant of the Lord to its place into the inner sanctuary of the temple to the most holy place under the wings of the cherubim. For the cherubim spread their wings over the place of the ark and the cherubim overshadowed the ark and its poles. Then the, the poles extended so that the ends of the poles of the ark could be seen from the holy place in front of the inner sanctuary, but they could not be seen from the outside. We read all about that in Leviticus 16 this past Sabbath and in in Exodus. Nothing was in the ark except the two tablets which Moses put there at Horeb, the tablets of the testimony, when the Lord made a covenant with the children of Israel when they had come out of Egypt. We'll continue again. Allow the words to speak to you. Think of all that we've been studying and connecting the dots over the last number of weeks and months. And it came to pass when the priests came out of the most holy place, for all the priests who were present had sanctified themselves without keeping to their divisions. And the Levites, who were the singers, all those of Asaph and Heman and Jeduthun, with their sons and their brethren, stood at the east end of the altar, clothed in white linen, having cymbals, stringed instruments, and harps, and with them 120 priests sounding the trumpets. Indeed, it came to pass when the trumpeters and singers were as one, to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music, praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, his mercy endures forever. That the house, the house of the Lord, was filled with a cloud, Remember the last time that happened? So that the priests could not continue ministering because of the cloud. 
the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. Then Solomon spoke. The Lord said he would dwell in the dark cloud, and I have surely built you, God, an exalted house and a place for you to dwell in forever. Forever. There's a place for you to come in tabernacle to dwell with your creation, with mankind. And the king turned around and blessed the whole assembly of Israel. While the assembly of Israel was standing, and he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who has fulfilled with his hands what he spoke with his mouth to my father, David, saying, Since the day that I brought my people out of the land of Egypt, since the day we made covenant and became your covenant people, when we remember going way back, memorializing, remembering the covenant in the seventh month, which is what they're doing. I've chosen no city from any tribe of Israel in which to build a house that my name might be there. Nor did I choose any man to be a ruler over my people, Israel. Yet I have chosen Jerusalem. How many times have you heard those words here? Yet I have chosen Jerusalem that my name, the name of God may be there. And I have chosen David to be over my people, Israel. Now it was in the heart of my father, David, to build a temple for the name of the Lord God of Israel, that his name may be glorified. Whereas it was in your heart to build a temple for my name, you did well in it that it was in your heart. Nevertheless, you shall not build a temple. This is, of course, Solomon reminding the conversation God had with David. Your son who will come from your body, he shall build the temple for my name. So the Lord has fulfilled his word, which he spoke. And I have filled the position of my father, David, and sit on the throne of Israel, as the Lord promised. And I have built the temple for the name of the Lord God of Israel. And there I have put the ark in which the covenant of the Lord, which he made with the children of Israel. The tablets of the testimony were back in the ark of the covenant. The ark of the covenant was back in the most holy place. And there was a place for God to to come into the presence of his people. All was made right again. All was made right again. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands, dropping down to verse 14. And he said, Lord God of Israel, there is no God in heaven or on earth like you. You who keep covenant and mercy with your servants who walk before you with all their hearts. Your, your, your people, when they have afflicted their souls and they come, they, and they have opened their hearts to you, you keep covenant with those people. You have kept what you promised your servant David, my father. You've both spoken with your mouth and fulfilled it with your hand as it is this day. Therefore, Lord God of Israel, now keep what you promised your servant David, my father, saying you shall not fail to have a man sit before me on the throne of Israel. Only if your sons take heed to their way, that they walk in my law as you have walked before me. And we know God has fulfilled this through Jesus Christ, that he is now the King of kings and Lord of lords sitting on that throne. And now, O Lord God of Israel, let your word come true, which you have spoken to your servant David. But will God indeed dwell with men on earth? Will there be a tabernacling of God? We've built this home for him. We've followed the the instructions that he gave back in his Torah. We've opened our hearts, and we know that God will bless those who follow him. Will God really come and dwell? Will God really tabernacle with men on this earth? Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you. 
how much less this temple which I have built. Yet regard the prayer of your servant and his supplication. We've looked back. The seventh month has begun here. They've, they've outfitted the temple. They've, they've brought everything into the temple. The priests went in and did what they needed to do in the Holy of Holies. Well, Lord, my God, listen to the cry and the prayer which your servant is praying before you, that your eyes may be open toward this temple day and night, toward the place where you said you would put your name, that you may hear the prayer which your servant makes toward this place, and you may hear the supplications of your servant and of your people Israel. When they pray towards this place, hear from heaven your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. When you hear, forgive. Verse 24. Or if your people Israel are defeated before an enemy because they have sinned against you, when you have invoked the, the covenant clauses, the, 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 the cursing, the curse clauses of the covenant, because we have sinned against you and we have been defeated by an enemy, the covenant curses, and return and confess your name, pray and make supplication before you in this temple, then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel and bring them back, restore them back to the land which you gave to them and their fathers. This is all coming together here in the seventh month, this celebration when they put when they finally finish the temple. When the heavens are shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against you, when again you have invoked the covenant curses because they have sinned against you, when they pray towards this place, when they realize they need to afflict their souls and come under your authority and confess your name, and turn from their sin because you afflict them, because you afflict them for their good, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel, that you may teach them the good way in which they should walk, and send rain on your land which you have given to your people as an inheritance. Verse 36. When they sin against you, for there is no one who doesn't sin, we call the explanation of unintentional sin, Versus willful and intentional sin that we heard about this past Sabbath. And you become angry with them and deliver them to the enemy. And they take them captive to a land far or near. Yet when they come to themselves in the land where they were carried captive and repent. When they afflict their souls and realize what they have done. And make supplication to you in the land of their captivity saying, We have sinned, we have done wrong, and we have committed, committed wickedness. And when they return to you with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their captivity, when they come back to you, where they have been carried captive and pray toward their land which you have given their fathers, the city which you have chosen, and and toward the temple which I have built for your name, then hear from heaven and from your dwelling place, and from your dwelling place their prayer and their supplications, and maintain their cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you. Now, my God, I pray, let your eyes be open and let your ears be attentive to the prayer made in this place, this holy place, this most holy place where we picture the high priest and all the work he does so that sins can be forgiven. Now, therefore, arise, O Lord, to your resting place, you and the ark of your strength. Let your priests, O Lord God, be clothed with salvation. Let those who are leading be examples, be proper examples in all that they do and all that they say. May they be clothed with salvation. May may those priests who are tasked with leading be living examples of the salvation that they profess. 
and let your saints rejoice in goodness. O Lord God, do not turn away the face from your, your face from your anointed and remember the mercies of your servant David. When Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priest could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. And when all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshipped and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, and for his mercy endures forever. Verse 8. And at that time, and then, Solomon kept the feast seven days. So this was a workup to preparing the temple, reminding them of the covenant that they had made all the way back in the time of Moses, and then preparing the Holy of Holies and the Ark of the Covenant so that they could then come before God and profess their repentance so that he would then come down and did come down in smoke and fill the place so that nobody, not even the priests could get in because the, the place was filled with smoke. God, God dwelled with them. And it was at that time, because there was true, pure, and complete atonement at that time, Solomon kept the feast seven days, and all Israel with him, a very great assembly from the entrance of Hamath to the brook of, of Egypt. And notice this. And on the eighth day they held a sacred assembly, for they observed the feast of dedication of the altar seven days, and the feast seven days. And then they celebrated, they, they kept the eighth day. And on the 23rd day of the seventh month, and if you're doing your math, the feast is from the 15th day to the 21st day. The eighth day is the 22nd day. Many, and if you stay over, which many do, and keep all eight days and then stay over to complete the feast, the 23rd day of the seventh month, he sent the people away to their tents, joyful and glad of heart for the good that the Lord had done for David, for Solomon, for his people Israel. They were able to tabernacle in complete rejoicing because they had followed the process, because they had remembered the covenant. They had had complete atonement, and they were now able to rejoice for eight days. Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord in the king's house, and Solomon successfully accomplished all that came into his heart to make in the house of the Lord and in his own house. Then, after all of this, evidently at the end of the, the day 23, at night, evidently, then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night. And said to him, after all this had taken place, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up heaven and there's no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people. If my people who are called by my name, remember the third commandment, we talked about that months ago. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven, and will forgive their sin and heal their land. If in the future God is saying, your actions require me to invoke the, the curse clauses, afflict your souls. Come before me in, 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 in repentance. And I will forgive your sin, and then I will heal your land. Now my eyes will be open. And my ears will be attentive. Remember what Solomon asked. My eyes will be open and my ears are attentive to the prayer made in this place. This is the, the, the temple is where God said he would dwell and he'd be the focal point for his people. He will be attentive to that place. For now I have chosen and sanctified this house 
that my name may be there forever. When God sanctifies his place, a, 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 a house, a temple, and recall that the body of Christ is the temple. The true believers, the true body of Christ, are the temple of, of God. My name may be there forever, and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. As for you, if, if you walk before me as your father David walked, and if you do all accord, according to all that I have commanded you, and if you keep my statutes and judgments, then I will not have to invoke the curse clauses. I will establish the throne of your kingdom, as I covenanted with David your father, saying you shall not fail to have a man as ruler in Israel. And we know how that, all that turned out. We know where they went. We know the need for Jesus Christ, the true high priest, the true king of kings and lord of lords. But if you turn away and forsake my statutes and my commandments, this, this assembly of Israel, and remember we're looking at this now, looking back into this, knowing that, that we aren't Israel, we are playing the role of the church who, if, if we are accepted by God and become kings and priests, we will then help Christ and help God restore Israel to this covenant. So this is as much a, a lesson for us. Now, if you turn away and forsake my statutes and my commandments, which I have set before you, and go and serve other gods and worship them, if you get distracted and you, and you, you start playing with, with other things, that you haven't completely afflicted yourself and come under, come under my authority, you're considering other options. Then I will uproot them from my land, which I have given them. And we know this is to, to Israel, but consider our place. If we're going to teach this, if we're going to help Israel be restored by teaching them through this, we need to be living this now. And this house which I have sanctified from my name, I will cast out of my sight. Recall some of the, the, the curses that God will invoke in Revelation 2 and 3 on, on members of the body of Christ that betray. And we'll make it a proverb. I will cast out, I will cast out of my sight and will make it a proverb and a byword among all nations. You're gonna be, you're gonna be well known because you're gonna, you're gonna be a dictionary definition of what it means to fail is what God is telling his covenant people here. And as for this house, which is exalted and everyone who passes by it will be astonished and say, why is the Lord, why has God done this to this? Why has he done this to this land and to this house? Then they will answer because they forsook the Lord God of their fathers who brought them out of the land of Egypt, who forgot the covenant they were a part of, who forgot the meaning of the Feast of Trumpets, that they were part of this covenant they forgot and embraced other gods and worshipped them and served them. They didn't come before God on atonement and repent and have, and, and have this, this sense of national repentance where their sins were forgiven. And come before the Holy of Holies and have the blood of the Lamb cover their sins. Therefore, he has brought all this calamity on them. This is the context of what we read in verse 14. A complete and proper keeping of the entire fall festival period that we see here. Leading up to as, as, they, as they put the final touches on the temple together. And then came before God during his appointed times. Trumpets, remembering the covenant Israel agreed to. Complete national repentance for Israel, allowing God to come into their presence. A joyous, full eight-day festival, kept for all eight days, with no one leaving until the 23rd day. What would be Sunday for us this year? 
And God appeared after everything was complete and spoke those words to Solomon that we just read. We are fasting today as members of the body of Christ, playing that role in the narrative of the church. But is our soul afflicted? Is your soul afflicted? This is a critical question we must ask ourselves individually and collectively, especially collectively at this time of year, when this day so pictures collective repentance of Israel. Is our collective soul afflicted? The answer will determine whether we dwell eternally in the presence of God, assuming our role in the narrative as kings and priests, helping Israel be restored to God, then helping other nations after that repent and come into the presence of God. Or whether we live on in infamy as a proverb and a byword among all nations. The choice is ours to make. If your soul isn't truly afflicted yet, please make it a priority because there is no true tabernacle without atonement. Have a most blessed rest of the the day of atonement. Make use of this time and have a joyous, joyous Feast of Tabernacles. Wow, Pastor Murray. I'm still trying to catch my breath here after your message here today and you raised so many difficult questions to answer and I can definitely say the same thing about my experience being in church for for over 20 years that I struggle for a long period of time just to try to figure out what the, what, what's, what's the relation between fasting and atonement and thank you for opening my eyes today specifically to this word, what it means to be afflicted. And my, the whole understanding on this day is just still growing so tremendously. So I appreciate very much your hard work and trying to explain to us and lead us into the right directions. And specifically, I hope that I will, that all of us who are listening to this message, Pay special attention to what he said at the end. Is your soul really afflicted today? And is your collective soul, as a congregation, as a member of a body, as a church, is really afflicted? If not, that you need to remember, God's presence cannot be among you if you're not under his authority. So thank you, Pastor Murray, one more time for this great sermon, so appropriate for this time of the year, of this Day of Atonement. And, and I hope that we still have time. I know this day, this day may be over here for us in just a few hours, but Christ is not coming yet. We still have time. We still have time to repent. We still have time to come under his authority. And thank you so much. And, you know, and I hope that you will have a blessed time, not just the rest of this day, but also, as Pastor Murray said and Pastor Agent said, have a blessed, wonderful time coming to the Feast of Tabernacle. And I hope that you will come rejuvenated. You will have you'll have your passion, your level of energy will be so much increased that we'll do all this different work and we'll just change our lives and to change the lives of our church the way how we're going to move into next year. 
So thank you so much. Now at this time we'll have a closing prayer, closing prayer. And then just give me here a few seconds just, you know, to switch my mind. So important closing prayer at the end. And loving Father, loving God, thank you so much for another day of atonement. And thank you, Father, for expanding our our view, expanding our beliefs and faith, what this day truly stands for. And as we learn from the offertory, it's a busy day for a high priest. Very busy day and very bloody day. And for us, we have to learn what it truly means, how to afflict our souls. And today we heard a message explaining how fasting and afflicting goes hand in hand, Father. If we just fasted today, just abstained for food and water, but we still have a sinful behavior, or we are not still faithful to you, that we just wasted our time, and we just wasted God's time. But we truly, sincerely want to come under your authority. Then Father, help us. Help us truly to see, understand, and truly align our will, Father, so we can truly fully come under your own authority. If you want to be your people called by your name, Father, there's no any other way but we fully need to come under your authority. So, Father, thank you. I want to thank you for this day. I want to thank you for teaching us some very important, critical lessons about this day. And I want to thank you, Father, specifically for Jesus Christ, our high priest, and all the work that he's doing, even right now, in the heavenly sanctuary, on behalf of all of us. And, Father, help us to finish this day strong, Physically, we might be weak, but spiritually, Father, we are ready to fly. Help us to finish this day strong and help us, Father, with the right attitude, repentance. And all of you come and celebrate the Feast of Tabernacle. Father, forgive us. Forgive us our forthcomings. Forgive us our sins. As Pastor Mer was asking all these questions, we know that I'm not Personally, not really there. I know that your churches are not really there yet either. Help us to get to this point. Help, help us to be fully obedient to you and to your son, Jesus Christ. So, Father, what else we can say? We praise you, holy name, Father. We thank you for such a wonderful time of salvation that you put in front of us. And help us that we can understand to such a degree that so few people on this globe truly, really understand. We praise you, Holy Name, Father. We bless you, Holy Name. And we ask you all these things in other name, but our high priest's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. So, brother, let's conclude this service. We'll have a last closing hymn, which our traditions going back for many, many years back, just at the end of the Feast of, of the Day of Atonement. 
We like to sing this hymn, which is on page 105. Come to the feast, page 105. May God bless you all and be with all of you. Come to the feast, all of us.